And welcome to episode 24 of the Brood Sages, Stormbound players with a head for the game. I am Freeloader, and with me, as always, are my co-hosts, Arthas and Sibaiku. Sibaiku, how's it going tonight? Fantastic. And Arthas, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Well, we are the Brood Sages, and as a reminder, you can always follow us at Brood Sages on Twitter, or for all of you who used to watch the original Saved by the Bell the moment you got home from school, our email address is thebroodsages at gmail.com. Well, guys, uh, it is March, which means the Heroes League is upon us. We mentioned it very briefly in our last episode since we, we recorded it about what, 14 hours in. Uh, there's been a fight for the top. How's that going? Arthas, what's been going on at the top of the leaderboard? What's been going on? A lot of Ubis, Mers. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of crowds going everywhere. Like uh, one time I, I fought against uh, Tony Gunner, top ranked uh, hero league right now. And uh, I just gained 35 crowns from him. And I like just entered heroes Ooh. league. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's very fun. It's very chaotic, the ELO system. <laughs> well, our, our apologies to Tony, uh, who's unfortunately got a losing record against Brood Sages this month. Uh, don't worry i tried to give him back as many crowns as i could well that's very kind of you <laughs> we'll 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 kind of table this for a little bit just because i want to use this conversation about the heroes league and maybe how this fighting at the top for the top spot on the leaderboard and subsequent sharing of the deck that brought that success is maybe leading us into a little bit of our state of the game and our main topic I wanna know the frequency of what will be facing me. I don't wanna waste my time. Wanna deck that's in its prime. You will never have to guess. Our report is pure BS. BS meta report. The BS meta report. Before we jump into that, very quickly, we've made a big change to the meta report this month. For any of you who've ever clicked on the second tab, uh, which is called archetypes, we apologize. We have not been keeping that up. Uh, there's so much going on with the rest of the podcast. It is very difficult for us to keep those current. We've had four people volunteer to adopt a faction each and create better, more up-to-date, uh, and more accurate to the meta suggested builds for each archetype. And we just want to give them all a thank you right now. That's player 9316 for Ironclad, Pixels for Shadowfen, Mac 313 for Swarm, Evil Deck for Winter. Guys, thank you all so much for your help and for everyone else who volunteered to help and collaborate with them on deck builds and archetype walkthroughs. With that aside, Sabaiku, give us our uh, uh, meta report results for this month. So in terms of frequency, we have seen some pretty big changes. We do see Ironclad still on top. Unsurprisingly, the king is still the king here. The changes to Fort Tonic seem to have decreased the play rate to Ironclad mid-range by quite a bit. But Ironclad Rush has just jumped right in to fill that void. And if you're playing at least in the Heroes League and in Diamond, you're probably seeing a lot of high-level hearth guards going into your base. Mm -hmm. It's all still a little fluid. Uh, the Ironclad Midrange and Ironclad Rush builds are very similar. So it's tough for us to really differentiate. So even though we've got the most data that we've ever had on the meta report and the most accurate data we've ever had, that, that little bit is causing me the least amount of confidence that uh, I've ever had in our percentages, actually. Interesting. Yeah, Arthas, those two builds look very similar, don't they? Oh, yeah, they really do. I mean, uh, when I'm streaming, or back when you were streaming too, uh, Freeloader, I would, we would like look at what kind of archetypes are facing. And whenever it's Ironclad, we were thinking like, oh, is that is that mid-range or rush? And then everyone's saying like, oh, you know, there's the green gale, there's a destructor. No, 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 but everything outside the staple cards. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty sure there are like 10 staple cards. <laughs> It really does feel like that. So so listeners, uh, if you're using our meta report this month, bear in mind when you're looking at the red bars, the lightest and the mid-dark color for red, that's your Ironclad Russian mid-range, both for frequency and power, 
what we're seeing is so similar. You could probably just sort of blend those together into one color a lot of the time. They're, they're, most of those decks are only different by a couple of points. All right, Sabaiku, yeah. keep walking us through. So for the other three factions, we see really very similar play rates. We see Shadowfen, Winter, and Swarm all about the same amount, maybe a little bit higher on the Swarm, which is not abnormal. We always see Swarm Rush played at a a higher play rate than we think is necessarily commensurate with its power rankings. But here in a mid-range heavy meta, I think it's it's probably a really good choice, actually. Uh, we see a lot of Shadowfen mid-range, and with Winter, we see a, a pretty decent split between Control and mid-range, and Ironclad Control, Swarm Control, Winter Rush, and Shadowfen Control all really not played very much at all. Yeah, well, there's, there there might be a reason for that, uh, and that might be their power level. So so let's go down to the power levels. And, and Arthas, talk me through the Tier 1 decks right now. What's Tier 1? Tier 1, unsurprisingly, still Ironclad mid-range according to our uh, data. Oof. Yeah, yeah. And then second place, also unsurprisingly, Winter Pack Control. Still these, uh, these crazy monsters in the archetypes that are still dominating. But something that's snuck in now, you know, uh... From what we mentioned about Ironclad Rush, Ironclad Rush being the third tier one archetype now. Very, very interesting. A lot of very strong hearth guards. And we're seeing a little burst of Shadowfen midrange now that Heroes League is getting very competitive, right? And uh, Shadowfen midrange is just about, just breaking tier one for our relative power list. So we actually have four archetypes there on the top. Pretty cool. Yeah. I'm- Unsurprisingly, Sibaiku, those four decks are also the four most common archetypes being shared by the sort of the top five or ten players in the Hero League right now. I don't know if there's correlation to that, or uh, in other words, they they figured out what is strongest and that's what they're playing, or uh, you know, if uh, it's just making them super popular. But it it does seem that that that. Hearthguard Ironclad deck of some sort, the uh, Wooly Fons especially, his Winter Pact control deck, and then Bragda, uh, and some yeah. Chunk Beam maybe in this show. That's only me. Uh, <laughs> That's only me. <laughs> oh, that deck is spreading. Well, yes, I know it's spreading, but I don't think it's spreading in Heroes yet. And uh, but yeah, it's definitely really competitive. Actually, it's one of my main decks for heroes. I mean, I mean, when I mentioned I beat Tony Gunner, yeah, I actually used my Chunk Beam. Very good. So, so, Michael, let's let's hear about some tier two decks now. Uh, as we drop down from tier one, but we want a deck that's still very viable for climbing. That's not necessarily something that uh, you know you you play when you're in the top ten of Heroes League. What else we got? So we've got about four decks that are all seeing similar power levels, and that's Swarm Midrange, Winter Midrange, Shadowfen Rush, and Swarm Rush. And these are all just solid all around decks that maybe aren't quite as strong maybe they get countered by some of the tier one decks uh, but they'll all definitely still win you some games if you've got the levels to compete and then sneaking in at the bottom of tier two we have ironclad control which really doesn't utilize a lot of the same cards that the russian mid-range do uh, usually this is a a mia true shot mia siege assembly kind of deck but you know i gotta say i've been seeing some ironclad decks playing arc druid air and needle blast and bladestorm and having some decent success all right and then from there arthas uh last month our number two there were two tier one decks last month and and one of them is still there where is shadow fen control walk us through the the tier three decks now. Uh-huh. shadow fen control actually uh now basically the third to the last power ranking for the uh <laughs> for the archetype relative power list and uh, surprisingly can you can you believe it guys winter rush not last place anymore oh my gosh something actually beat it swarm control the absolute meme <laughs> <laughs> hey hey shout out shout out to several players in the heroes league currently running arc druid Aaron needle blast blade storm decks in swarm which I have, I have faced at least three different people running some sort of swarm control archetype in Heroes League. Hats off to each of you. Go get them, guys. I mean, I tried that too, actually, in Heroes uh, while I was climbing. I tried a bit of the 
Yeah. Aaron. And I, I would actually say Aaron is uh, the strongest in Swarm. But uh, the thing is, it's just really, really hard to play. You know, with the other kind of Swarm control, things like Pillars or Mischiefs, right? Um, Swarm just generally doesn't have very good defensive cards, even if you use the neutral. So Swarm itself is just not built for uh, controlling the board. And it's, it's just really hard. Not not that it's bad. It's just very, very hard, which um easily correlates to it being a little bad, right? <laughs> and it makes it very inconsistent for sure when it works it feels like it's powerful but when it works it's because you had a great draw or you had a fortunate matchup with your opponent's deck or both most of the time exactly i want to talk about Shadowfin control dropping all the way down to tier three and so do i clearly that's a result of the change to harry chestnuts definitely um i think that sh- that Shadowfen mid-range build that we're seeing now sneaking into tier one, it's really got a lot of the same cards and a lot of the a lot of the same control tools. But whereas before you could build some value and get some damage with Harry Chestnuts, now you're really having to replace that with Bragda and trying to generate value through a dominating board, which Chestnuts let you completely ignore. You know what's really interesting, though, about the Shadowfen mid-range deck that I'm seeing a ton of play right now? Uh, because it's not running Harry Chestnuts, there is one big change to it, and that is it's not running Witches. It's running Toad in that spot instead of Witches. And I think a lot of that has to do with, A, I'm playing in the Heroes League. My cat won't stop. <laughs> uh, so I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm playing in the Heroes League, uh, so everybody aside from me <laughs> seems to have max level everything. Um, I have a max, which is my, my toads level three. I'm not making that switch, but just in a vacuum, if you don't have chestnuts to proc, I could understand saying, well, actually toad is more valuable, more useful. It, it grows to a bigger threat on the board more easily with only say one unit to trade into kind of a thing. Yeah, especially when you're playing at the top level of the game, people really do play around witches very well. Extremely well. It's really hard to bait people into a good witches situation, and Toad just gets more consistent value, I'd say. So I I, I wonder if the play rate of witches dropping is, is at least in some part to Chestnuts being there. What's interesting about Ironclad midrange and Rush, Subaiku, though, is... Half of its combo of unstable Fort Tonic is still seeing a ton of play, right? Well, sure. Unstable is just a good, solid card for holding your front, for blocking your enemies. It can do a lot because it's a lot of strength for only two mana. Yeah, and now they've just simply found a another card to combo with it, right? Yeah, you'll see you'll see Hearth Guards in the Rush versions. You might see it as a finisher in the mid range version. You might see it with Fort Tonic in the mid range version. Like it's all. It's all perfectly viable still. It just depends on what you feel like. So have either of you seen a lot of Hunter's Vengeance since the nerf? Uh, definitely in Winter Control. I see a lot of it. Uh, Winter Winter can afford more of like hurting their own units because of the sheer value they can get with Gift of the Wise and Zivana. But uh, I'm not seeing it as much in Ironclad, especially Ironclad Rush, because uh, that would kind of hurt Rush, right, to play Hunter's Vengeance. And uh, Shadowfen mid-range, well, just Shadowfen in general, since chestnuts are now uh, quite rare in the meta, um, Hunter's Vengeance isn't as necessary anymore, you know? Do you think it's still a strong card for three mana? Oh, oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, (laughs) I I still get a little bit tilted when my entire board gets cleared for three mana, but at least I'm like, okay, at least it wasn't the two (laughs) mana, but whatever, I'll take it. Yeah. You can calm yourself down. Oh, well, at least he had to pay one extra mana to completely obliterate my chances. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I think it's I think it's in a good spot right now. It's still very strong, which is great because then it's not it didn't completely ruin its card design, right? It's definitely designed to like clear boards. It's just that now it's not that early of a swing turn, you know what I mean? Right. Honestly, I think it could be four mana and still be perfectly balanced at four mana and it would still see play. In all the decks that you want it to see play in, in the slower control decks, and it would still be perfectly viable. Yeah, I would say so too. I I have a sneaking suspicion, though, that that it is seeing less play than it was. Still a lot in winter, but not as much everywhere else. And its lack of, uh, of, of sort of general utility 
is causing there to be a lot more bored in the mid game. And by that, I mean, just there's a lot of little two and three health units from trades and stuff just everywhere. And Sabaiku, I think that's giving rise to the effectiveness, if not the play rate, because maybe it was also it was seeing a lot of play before. But I think there's a, a five mana legendary that's seeing a ton of effectiveness right now because at least in some part, these boards aren't getting cleared early anymore by Hunter's Vengeance. Oh, uh, yeah. So you're talking about Loris, right? Yeah. Yes, yes Loris. Exactly. You get a lot of Loris value now from clearing your enemy units. No. Uh, for all of our listeners who are not on the Discord, Ubis is a daily, if not hourly, complaint in the Discord. Uh, the prevalence of Ubis has definitely skyrocketed. I think that the Hunter's Vengeance change is definitely part of it without the board being cleared so consistently early on. There's usually some stuff that your enemy has on the board and maybe some stuff you have on the board and you can just put down Ubis and get really consistent value from it. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and a, a lot of these units, because of, of them crashing into each other and whatnot, are, are, are of a size that... Um, Either Ubis is chipping you down quite a bit, you know, two, three shots to the head, or it's just completely obliterating a lot of the board. Like it's it's actually quite effective on five right now, uh, which is, I think, in some small part leading to the tilt that's causing the complaints. Before we move on to that part of our discussion, I want to sort of finalize and wrap up uh, in a bow. Where do we think the state of the meta is? Ignoring the questions about Ubis or the cards, just do we feel like there's how, how are we doing balance wise? Uh, do we feel like the four factions are seeing uh, a balanced amount of play right now? As we can see from the meta report with the power list, um, Swarm isn't really seeing that much like, you know, in terms of like strength at the top, top, top level, right? Um, Swarm being playing mostly rush, a little bit of mid range control is almost non existent. So, as, as far as the other three factions, Shadowfin, Ironclad, and Winter, I mean, we got the powerful Ironclad Rush with Hearthguards, but um, something like the Winter Pack Control with Zivana really, uh, really hits the gun on the uh, Ironclad. But also, I mean, the rise of Shadowfin mid range right now with Bragda and other things like Klaxi, right? That also seems to be a very strong counter against the Winter Pack Control. And, uh, <laughs> Just just to like wrap it up in a nice bow tie, uh, Ironclad's Rush really has a good matchup against uh, Shadowfen midrange. So it has that really interesting balanced rock, paper, scissors kind of like, you know, dynamic, which I, I would say is like, that's pretty healthy for the most part. It's just kind of unfortunate that Swarm isn't really up there. But at least for the Platinum Leagues, Platinum or Low Diamond, you still see a lot of every faction and I can definitely vouch for that. And uh, I like... I like seeing way more things. It's not just for tonic. It's not just chestnuts. Like you're seeing a lot of new stuff. Like I'm seeing a lot of debug loggers now. You know, it's like really cool. Yeah, it's nice to go into a matchup and not know what to expect from your opponent and to get variety from game to game because when you're just queuing into the same faction over and over again, it makes the games very repetitive. It makes them feel like a grind. And it's not enjoyable. I don't think we think the meta is fully settled yet, Subaiku. Um, but do you think it is settling? And if so, where do you think it's kind of... What, what's its trajectory? Where do you think we're headed? Yeah, I don't want to speak for anything other really than Heroes League and Diamond. And it it does feel like it's settling down now. It does feel like the builds are being optimized. There's still people who treat the Heroes League like a sandbox like Diamond One was last month and are just still tinkering around with stuff. Huge shout out to Zimu who finally got to zero <laughs> ground points. What a god. Uh, that's real commitment there. But for the most part, when you're going up against an opponent who takes it seriously, you're you're seeing the builds kind of become more streamlined, more optimized, and more similar from faction to faction. So I think it is settling down. I, I like that you ended that with uh, a more similar, uh, because that's kind of where I want to bring our conversation now. So Arthas, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, but there's a lot of, uh, I'm going to say there's, there's, there's five cards before I even know what faction my opponent is playing. 
before I even know what archetype my opponent is playing. I have no idea if he's control, rush, whatever. I can tell you there's five cards that are within 95% confidence they're all in his deck. Are you ready? Green prototypes, gifted recruits, saber paws, Murs, Ubas. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm going to propose an idea here that there are currently in the meta this concept of a generally useful neutral. We're calling it a gun. And right now, every deck is loaded with guns. Loaded with guns. If you really look at like how many cards are in a deck, right? If something like five cards you're seeing in 95% of the decks, that's only like just a little over half of the actual deck itself to have some uh, variability around. But then once you put a faction in, there's probably only one or two cards that get changed, you know? <laughs> well, that's that's what's yeah. crazy. Sabaiku, the Merc hit number one on the Heroes League with an Ironclad deck that ran four faction cards. And two-thirds of the deck was neutral cards. And that's not to say that neutral cards should not have a place in the game. And some cards kind of synergize better with one faction than others. You know, we've been talking about Bragda already this episode only in mm -hmm. the context of Shadowfen decks because Shadowfen as a faction creates these one strength toads that synergize really well with Bragda. Fair enough. So you do see a lot of these same cards, not just the five ones you listed as requirements, but then also something like Westwind or Edric, where it's just a generally useful card. And if you have it at a high level, you can slot it into pretty much any deck. Yeah, and I think that's fair. So so Arthas, when, here's my thought. Let me know if you agree or disagree. When I'm starting as a new account, I want to enable the most broad possible set of decks and factions to play because I don't know what I'm going to pack, right? I don't know what I'm going to get from my next tome, from my next book, from whatever it is. And if I happen to suddenly turn something level two, I want to be able to mm -hmm. play that. But once you get into an all level five mature deck, the fact that no one can find a better card to put into whatever faction they're playing at the three spot than Murs, or at the five spot than Ubis, or even more importantly, I understand this is a tempo game, but how is Gifted Recruit still always in any deck, any faction, still one of the best, let's say not necessarily the number one best two drop, but at least the second best or third best two drop, and since you're going to play two or three two drops, Gifted Recruits always makes the cut. Would it not be better that as our libraries expanded and matured to level fours and fives, that you start to weed out the neutrals that are weaker for faction cards that you finally got to a high enough level to play so that we get more diversity than what we've got right now? Right now, it feels like we're just playing the same deck with different colors in some regards. Yeah, I guess this, I would say that um, that is a very good point and a nice uh, perspective and vision for the game. But uh, I guess we're not entirely sure what the developers of Shapeyard themselves are uh, thinking. But yeah, I mean, for like our values as the Brood Sages, I would definitely agree that it would be nice that like um, generally faction alternatives are a little bit better, like situationally better than the neutral alternatives. Because then, yeah, like you said, you will see way more uh, diversity that way. Sabaiku, everyone's asking for a nerf to these cards. If we nerf everything into oblivion, what do we end up playing? Weaker decks. <laughs> now, the problem is not necessarily that Ubis, for example, needs a balance change. I think, from just my opinion, and we can get into this later, I think he's relatively balanced for his mana cost and, and for his rarity. I don't want to discount the rarity. When you get a legend to a high level, it should be really good. It's a lot of resources that you've put into one card. Okay. I think that part of the problem with Ubis is that, number one, he's strong for a five-mana card. Number two, he's flexible. You can put him in a rush deck, in a mid-range deck, or in a control deck. And while he may not be entirely optimized for all of those decks, he's going to do a pretty good job in that spot in all of them. And then number three, he's neutral and there are no real faction alternatives that are better for most players. Now, 
at the top end, maybe Shadowfen is going to be playing Obsidian Butchers at five and not Ubis because your deck is built around Toad Spam. But that's not necessarily the case for every Shadowfen deck. And even in that deck, you could probably still slot in Ubis and get a decent amount of success with it. There's just not a lot of alternatives that are as strong more than Ubis is too strong for how much he costs. I just I would like to see a point in the game where you're you're choosing to put neutrals into your deck because you don't have the superior faction alternative leveled up adequately for whatever league you're in. Uh, at, at this point, though, it just feels like there's only four or five faction cards in each faction that's really seeing play. The neutrals seem to be where most of the preferred card choices are right now. I. I just for the, the the benefit of of more diversity, can do, do either of you have any ideas on on how we get there or how we might get there? So a little concern I have with like, because I know one of the issues with neutrals being so popular right now is that there aren't better alternatives for them, right? Or there aren't enough. I'm just thinking like, if we tried to solve that like lack of alternatives problem, um, it's going to be very hard to design cards that are like, you know, intended to be alternatives without doing a subjective power creep and just replacing some of the cards we already know, right? Power creep scares me for sure. Right. So you end up with either two mana, five strength, one movement cards in each faction so that nobody plays gifted recruits, but everybody plays an identical card with a different color on it. Or you end up with more two mana, six strength cards Maybe they have a drawback. Maybe it's just straight up power creep. But either way, it doesn't feel as good as just having, okay, I know that here's, I know that I can put resources into gifted recruits and it'll just kind of see play all over the place. Good. Like I don't have to invest resources in five different cards now that do the same thing. Mm, That's also a good point. Well, geez, then. And that's the advantage of the neutral cards, especially in a game that is resource intensive as Stormbound, right? Like, I know I can put my fusion zones into Ubis, and then I'll be able to play that card in multiple decks and multiple factions. It doesn't lock me into a particular deck in the same way that I put my fusion zones into Obsidian Butchers. Now I'm playing a Shadowfen Rush deck. Well, that's that's very fair. Um and I don't think anybody ever gets tilted when they see green prototypes or gifted recruits or even necessarily saber paws in a deck. Do we feel like there's a certain type of card that is more acceptable? Here's the thing with those three cards, right? Green protos, gifted recruits, and saber paws. Nobody gets tilted when they see them, but that's just because they're standard. They're just everywhere. They're in every deck. And that contributes to the game being a lot less diverse and making those early turns especially just feel like they're all the same and pre-programmed yeah i there's you know what i said about the resources earlier that's a reason to argue for that but the sameness of the games is definitely a consequence that comes out of that to develop on freeloader's point uh his question about are there different types of these like generally useful neutrals that are you know that are too strong and also overused. Like, unlike the cards like Green Protoss, Gifted, and Saber, things like Murz and Ubis, right? Murz and Ubis have some very powerful impact on the games they are played, right? I mean, Saber and Gifted, they're just like, they're five strength. They will always be five strength, right? Nothing changes that. Murz, I know, always is 10 strength, but you know what isn't always? When the token shows up, when Murz shows up, how yeah. often you can play Mertz? Ubis, it's also not always when you're going to be hitting the base, when you're going to be hitting units, when you're going to have a lot of value. And uh, I think this is what actually tilts players. Having this kind of like, not necessarily RNG, but it's not consistent all the time. We're like, okay, maybe it is RNG, especially for Ubis, um, where it's like, yes, Ubis is a very powerful impact, but it really sucks that this powerful impact can just kill a game just because RNG favored the enemy or something like that. Or for example, uh, another, yeah, like with Murz even, the RNG where they managed to draw the token early or even like twice in three turns. Like that's enough to just really swing games, but other neutral cards cannot, even if they are strong. And I would say this is 
probably one of the biggest things that really tilts players because it sort of decides games. Like when I play Heroes League, like like you said, Subaiku, I don't necessarily think Ubis is too strong. I think that he is just not healthy in my opinion, because of how powerful he is and how um, RNG-reliant he is. It seems to be in my games, especially if I also have Ubis, it's a matter of, like, who gets to put Ubis first? But even so, it's not necessarily that. It's whoever gets to hit the base with Ubis first. And it's just a race to that, which is very, very dumb, because it's not even in your control, you know? It's who draws Ubis first, but also who gets the luckiest off of it. But that kind of RNG does make the games a little more interesting and a little more fun and it helps to separate them because it's something that is memorable and stick with you either if it's for or against you you, both ways it'll stick with you um and a little bit of that is definitely good and healthy i don't want to say that it's all bad yeah definitely not i just think it's because it's overused it's the frequency the frequency it's just overused and it's just so chaotic with the game results, right? But the overuse is a result of the fact I want this in my deck because I can high roll, right? Because I can get lucky. It can get me out of situations that I wouldn't otherwise be able to get out of. You know, like I've knocked my opponent to two and then lost my front and he's got six units on the board. Well, I'm going to drop this Upis and hope that one of them hits the base because if it doesn't, I cannot win the game. Like having a card that lets you get lucky in high roll in the first place is is a a real incentive for a lot of players. I very much agree with that. It's just uh at this, well, just for Upis in particular. I feel like what makes it so bad is that the only way, the only reliable, yeah, reliable way to uh actually fight against ubis decks is to uh unfortunately also play it you know which that yes. that's not good because yeah there are a lot of high roll cards right like uh like klaxi or or like Aaron. but like there is counterplay to those things you know like like you say like oh you know if you're playing against ubis oh just rush them down before they can do that you know you everyone knows rushing is not reliable rushing requires a lot of rng draw you can't say that's a reliable way to uh counter that so that's why a lot of players are not just trying to rush because it really isn't as reliable compared to Ubus's power, right? And uh, Well, plus a, a lot of rush plays you right into some of the most popular decks in the meta, right? Like Ironclad does pretty well against rush a lot of the time. Uh, Winter Control, it's not so easy to rush down a lot of these decks. So it's not a consistent strategy, you're right. Whereas if you're the one playing defense, you can often set up a board that really rewards a lot of skill and planning in playing your Ubis so that you can control the outcome a little bit better than your opponent. I'm not of the opinion that Ubis is itself a a busted broken card, nor Murs a busted broken card that needs to be nerfed and changed. My concern is just that at the three and five mana spots in most decks, no faction is offering a better alternative to those cards. Like, you know, you know what I mean? Like that, that that's just, to me, that's the biggest, if, if, if I saw Ubis two or three times out of every 10 games I played, I wouldn't think anything of it. Yeah. He's trying to high roll some chip shots. Okay, fine. You know, great. The problem is everybody's doing it. And so every game I'm just like, you know, I have to play or I, it's not even a question of, oh, they're playing Shadowfen, I have to play around Toxac. Or, oh, they're playing this, I have to play around that. I'm literally thinking more about Ubis positioning to not help my opponent out on five, more than I am pl- thinking about any particular faction card that they might be looking to that's play on that me. <laughs> And I'm right for doing so. Right, that's playing to the meta. I mean, there's... A... So good job for you there. Um, and I agree. Like I would like to see more high mana cards be played, but in order for a high mana card to work, it's got to either have a lot of synergies with your deck or have an immediate impact on the board state. And there's not too many of them that do so in a reliable and consistent manner or in a flexible manner like Ubis does. And that's why you see it jammed into a lot of decks. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I, you know, some some guns like recruits are totally acceptable because I don't want to see power creep on the low end. I think Arthas is right there, right? Like we start putting really powerful two drops in everywhere and rush starts to overwhelm us. So I get that. 
So some gener- some guns on the low end for just sort of, you know, generic vanilla stuff. There's no need to print them with different colors for the different factions, to, to Sabaiku's point. I like that. Tech cards make sense. Siege breakers, for example, should be neutral. We shouldn't deny a particular faction the ability to counter something that's happening in the meta. So so specifically tech cards, void surgers, siege breakers, these cards seem reasonable to me as as neutral cards. Is there any sort of thought then about trying to take some of these power cards and just moving them into factions to to try to to sort of force the diversity by saying, well, look, I would say that actually that that hinders diversity a lot. I mean, if Ubis is that powerful. Interesting. We're just going to play the faction that has Ubis. <laughs> you know. But you can't play him with Merce anymore. But like okay, also, I know it's I know it's a very interesting topic to like, you know, explore, but I'm pretty sure it's never going to be considered to just move a card from a faction to another because of how resource intensive this game is. Although it would be an interesting concept. I just don't think it's it's worth going into because I think we should just come would come up with better ideas, you know. Yeah, I think I think all that does to to your point about diversity, all that does is say you move Aaron into winter. Well, now every winter deck is going to be an Aaron deck, whereas yeah, Arthas was talking about playing Aaron in a swarm deck, and that's that's awesome. That's fun. I, I did yeah, the same yeah, thing yeah. with Needle Blast and Dark Harvest a few months ago. You know, I, I played that quite a bit, and it was great. It was really enjoyable. Moving cards out of the neutral faction doesn't help anything with diversity because it limits people's ability to experiment and it limits the design space. That's fair. So then that only really leaves two uh, uh, options then on the table, which is to either nerf the cards to the point where they are no longer the most powerful and useful options at their mana cost or power creep similarly costed legendaries inside of factions to try to drive the usage of Ubas and Mers down, right? Like or it's either going to be like, oh, oh, there's buff more similar alternatives, right? Or buff ways to right. counter these cards instead of nerfing the cards themselves, right? I would actually love to see buffs next month. We've seen so many nerfs already. <laughs> I'd love to see buffs. <laughs> okay, <laughs> buffs are tough. I so nerfs. Nobody really complains when a nerf goes too far right like chestnuts was was nerfed to a point where it does not see play at a high level anymore but because the card was overwhelmingly strong nobody really complained about it except for freeloader (laughs) but when you buff a card like void searchers was originally right like that all of a sudden was everywhere it's really hard to get that balance of a buff right and when you and when you do not get it right it requires follow-up effort and changes again, and I'm sure that Sheepyard wants to avoid that. For you, because I'm sure it's going to be slightly different for everybody, but uh, for you, and I'll start with Arthas, in your ideal world, playing uh, you know, in the Heroes League, how many neutrals do you think are healthy to see in a deck? Six. Six? Yeah, because um, if you give it more faction cards, you know, you know the faction pool isn't that big, right? So if you do more faction cards, there is less diversity there. Hmm. Okay. That's my opinion. And... A neutral has a large pool, but now you're limiting it to just six instead of like eight, you know? <laughs> All right. That's fair. So my instinct my instinct there was to say four is the right number of neutrals. Okay. But I wasn't I, like I was not considering I was not considering the lower pool of faction cards to draw from. But I think I might be biased by my Shadowfin experience where you can build Toad Spam Shadowfan. You can build Poison Shadowfan. You can go uh, with Bragda. You can go with Claxi. You can go with Obsidian Butchers. Like you can do a lot. You can go Chunk Beam, right? Like mm. you can do a lot within the faction. There's a lot of diversity there, and all the archetypes are pretty much okay, except for Poison being a little uh, less useful. But not every faction has that kind of diversity available. Maybe we're approaching this wrong. Maybe ideally the best the best number for neutrals in a deck is a uh, yeah indefinite amount of neutrals where it's not always a number. It's either like low or high or middle. But having that kind of balance is probably the ideal compared to just oh six or four. You know. Yeah. No. I don't. I don't want to make like a hard like a hard cap where where it won't let you drag a seventh neutral into your deck list. 
and and also I wasn't necessarily considering the the existing faction pools of cards. Just in general, how many of the same cards do you want to run into every single game? I guess is another way of asking the question. And I, I kind of like the number four. Yeah, four is also pretty nice, to be honest. I think what it comes down to is I want to see different decks that do different things. I want to play different decks that do different things more than I necessarily care what cards are in those decks. I want them to feel like they play in a different way. They have and different I want to... game plans, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I want yeah, to feel yeah. like I do different things to counter different decks as opposed to doing kind of yeah. the same thing every game. I'm pretty sure right now Trunk Beam is the only one that's doing a very significant, like, distinct game plan compared to anything else. Oh, I guess Bragda too, right? Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, the other sisters, like, put value, clear enemy, deal damage. Doesn't really matter what kind of archetype you're doing. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't think Bragda's playing Ubis. At least a lot of the builds I'm seeing aren't running Ubis. Oh, what about the idea? We can explore this maybe next time. What about the idea of increasing the number of cards in a deck? Oh, right? oh, well, that would be a huge that you want to you want to nerf mers right <laughs> there you go yeah <laughs> yes what do you mean <laughs> of course yeah, so no no exactly that's my point <laughs> one of the things that puts a lot of frequency on these staples is because staples themselves already take a large portion of the deck and if you give it more deck space, now the staples won't be as big of a problem, right? Well, like, possibly, sure, you're going to be seeing the staples, but you're going to be seeing other cards too, I think. Yeah, I but if know. what you end up seeing is is just like West Wind Sailors and First Mutineers, then has have we really added anything, right? If, yeah. if, if all they do is they <laughs> yeah. say, okay, well, that's all the two-drop neutrals. Let's go to the best three-drop neutrals and fit in like an extra runner and a yeah yeah i don't want to i don't want to have to recalibrate my cycling skills again (laughs) (laughs) at least with 12 it really is a deck building option right like like playing shadowfen you know to freeloader's point earlier like witches and toad are both great four mana cards so are azure hatcher so is edric i can't put all four of them in a deck i gotta pick and choose what works best for this one no, what you want to do ideally, and uh, obviously this is not as easy as as this little soundbite is going to make it make it appear. Ideally, what you want to do is have cards that fill unique and interesting functions, such that people are forced to decide: Do I want witches or do I want toad? I have a limited number of deck slots, and you should be making that choice. You know, for every mana cost for your whole deck, the problem with that being all you're going to see is rush decks jamming, you know, as many of these low cost options that are powerful and unique into their deck and really just abusing it as much as they can. Yeah, it's going to be a balancing act. I, I think it's something that needs to be front of mind uh, at Sheepyard, uh, that, that there's a, a lot of guns right now. I was playing devil's advocate a little bit. Uh, there i do think that some buffs to give more options would be a great idea like i just i'd love to play soul crushers in shadowfen more consistently you know but for the mana cost ubis is better for sure you know what would drive ubis usage down in shadowfen decks though uh is if uh, max level chestnuts down three to three uh, yeah. <laughs> no but that didn't stop people from comboing the two of them <laughs> Right, they just played them together exactly. Right. Well, it, it incentivized your opponent not to play their Rubus at least, so you saw <laughs> as many per game. <laughs> All right, so let's move on from there. We're gonna have to table that. Um, I think it's something that we're gonna try to keep an eye on. We're gonna try to uh, keep awareness up about uh, the generally useful neutrals and how often they're used. Uh, but from there, I think it's time for us to 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 move on. Given the frequency of play of winter pack rush and mid-range which are both pretty low frequency played uh, fact, uh archetypes i think it's worth having a conversation about rock workers for those of you who don't know it's a common it's winter pack it uh costs five mana its strength is uh starting at level one through five four five six seven eight movement well zero now <laughs> uh and its effect is on play it effectively just puts a uh, a, a fort of ebon rock with the same strength as your rock workers on a bordering tile 
it was buffed at one point. Its strength was increased back in April of 2018. Uh, but then July of this past year, the movement was removed. And uh, so by Q- <laughs> Yeah, removing the movement from the car definitely uh, led to a big decrease in the amount of mid-range winter pact that was played. This card was just so much value, so much strength for the mana that when it also had movement and could survive a trade, uh, it, it was everywhere. And now it's basically nowhere. Never see it. It was so f- flexible back then with one movement, right? Like, what could you do with what it? could you do with it? Oh my god, you could just you could just clear the biggest units most of the time while putting like <laughs> an almost unkillable Fort of Ebonrock because you know I know I know people are saying like oh Fort of Ebonrock's only eight strength I was like bruh you know so many abilities don't affect structures right you have to know killing structures are harder than killing units especially because they don't move to your base you can't just ignore them or you can't just reach them eventually no they're gonna stay there and give them board presence and um <laughs> Not to mention, like, because of how hard Fort of Evanrock was to kill back then, um, it wasn't uncommon for them to cycle into a second rock workers. And then it's just, yeah, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. If you think of the Fort of Evanrock being worth three mana, that meant you got a two mana, eight strength, one movement unit to go along with your fort. Hey, I know how to reduce the usage of uh, uh, gifted recruits. Let's get some two mana eight, uh, yeah, <laughs> eight yeah, ones yeah. in the game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll do it. Uh, but but in all seriousness, um, Siege Breakers has seen a buff since then. Uh, rock workers' play rate went to zero right away, but rock workers were in a world with a weaker Siege Breakers. Is it not perhaps time to 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 see rock workers maybe get some movement back, maybe with reduce strength but i mean there, there's a stronger counter in the meta now right yeah i was saying like because because we already know a movement was a bad idea and we're at the <laughs> we're at the minimal change where we can't go any further than giving him minus one movement or anything like that or like plus half movement you know <laughs> um i i mean the the best thing you can think of is really changing the stats of it right um you could make it spawn a stronger fort you could give it a bigger body right still no movement because um you know when, back when rock workers did have its movement and it was plaguing the game my my suggestion for a change wasn't to remove the the movement because I, I i i knew already that would kill the card i was thinking like just reduce the body because then you're still getting a lot of value for the mana cost you're still getting the fort and whatever synergies or psychological warfare you get with that um, but now rock workers can't just clear literally anything. Well, not literally, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's no, I like your idea for half movement. Let's keep it at eight strength, but only four of that <laughs> moves up. <laughs> 50% of the time it moves. <laughs> well, you know, when you play rock workers on an empty board, the four always goes in front of the rock workers anyway. So 50% of the time it moves, it's actually an improvement. <laughs> I actually like the idea of just making it a gifted recruits size body with a fort of Evan rock like that. Yeah, but that then it's just fair and balanced, and who wants that? That's well, well, <laughs> wouldn't it see more play as a fair and balanced card than something that's that, completely that true. unplayable? That true. And not to mention, it would add a little, a little more winter into those uh, blue neutral decks. You know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you'll still see Rhymelings in that spot as a as essentially a two mana six one. So. We could give we could give rock workers maybe six six one that spawns a, ta- a okay, tower with okay. it. All right. So you want to go yeah, kind of like a West Wind Sailor? Would that be enough? Would you play that? I would. Yeah, I think so. You could even give it a stronger stronger fourth. They'll just have to like um, give it a different design because I know one of the one of the things that I think it was Paladin, right? One of the things Paladin didn't want to do to rock workers was to change the strength of fourth. Because they wanted it consistent with Fort of Ebonrock. So if they made it so it sure. has a yeah. different structure entirely, then they can tweak the stats way better, right? So if you make it essentially Westwind Sailors plus Fort of Ebonrock combined, but then you discount a mana because you can't control where the fort actually goes. Yeah, okay. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's just I like reasonable. That. It's a reasonable card and maybe it sees play there. 
Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to make the tower any uh, stronger just because then you can't execute it, right? Like max level execute is eight. Is that right? Yes, it is. But that's like saying like unstable shouldn't be nine. <laughs> but I guess unstable. Well, unsta- yeah. Well, right. but, but, <laughs> but unstable shouldn't be nine. Let's go into that. We can talk for another hour about that. <laughs> that will be for another episode, folks. Okay. Um, all right, so so we have some ideas on. Uh, it's not playable right now, but I love the idea of uh, of making it a West Wind plus uh, uh, Fort of Edmonrock. That's six mana, but you get a discount because you can't control where the fort spawns. That seems totally reasonable, uh, and I would absolutely play that. Um, that's going to end the uh, main portion of our episode, uh, which means it's time for me to remind you all to contact us, preferably in our channel on the Stormbound Discord server, on Twitter at BroodSages, and always you can email us at thebroodsages.com. And now we also have an additional way for you to reach out and support us. We've just started a Gunroad account where you can become patrons of our work. Please check out the link in our Stormbound Kitty page. Uh, We want to give a huge shout out to Roman. He was our first patron. Thank you so much for your support, Roman. We really appreciate it. Um, we've also received some feedback this week, guys. Uh, Debnath first, he says, I hope you guys are fantastic. I found it to be a pity that you've got no messages last week. I did thought, uh, think of sending, uh, some to you, but it wouldn't have been nice if the last portion of every single episode would be the Brood Sages and Debnath boy every single week. So I decided to back off about the gentle touches on balance by Sheepyard as a rushdown player. It is quite annoying that Sheepyard is choosing to make the meta slower and slower by each update. I do understand that it does make the meta healthier as if every, uh, as if everyone just shoved runners down each other's throats, it would be just a rather boring game ending on turn 28. Uh, I'd like to see rush back as it's at its prime again, since I've got no time to play these much longer games, keep up the good work. I really appreciate the podcast. And in my opinion, it should always be one hour long. Also, I'm looking forward to hear Arthas's meta report jingle on episode 25. Well, you're going to get it one episode early. Stay hydrated, everyone. Evil Deck, dear sages of the brewery, and that is accurate. I don't speak on behalf of anyone else, but I'd personally like to see, listen to more of the Stormbound fan-made stories being read aloud, as I'm now on my fourth time listening through the podcast, and it's got to the point where I've mentioned some of it like it was a script I wrote. (laughs) Kind regards, a foolish listener. Um, yeah, I don't know who's going to read any more of it. I I did that once. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know that I'm going to find time to do any more. And lastly, Helios asked, when are the Brood Sages reviewing Brood Sages the card? And guys, how have we missed this? Should have been our first oh, card yeah. of the week. It should have been our first card <laughs> but of the week. What are we doing? Us with the, the troll pick. <laughs> I did. I did. My fault for not picking something that's actually pretty good. <laughs> It's a fantastic card. You know what? Uh, we'll commit to it right now. Our, our next episode, we will review the Brood Sages card as uh, the Brood Sages podcast. Guys, that's going to do it for this episode. For Arthas Sabaiku, I am Freeloader. We are the Brood Sages reminding you to stay hydrated.